following Jesus is scary to me primarily because of how risky it is. And don't get me wrong, I take risks all the time. In my business, I'm constantly taking risks. Every time I do a deal, there are a group of attorneys who are telling me and trying to scare the bejeebers out of me about all the stuff that can go wrong. But in the end, I still do that deal. But there's a big difference between the risk involved in business and the risk that it takes in following Jesus. Because at least in the business world, my risk is limited to just losing money. Right? And while that may not be fun, you can still recover out of that. But the risk that you face in following Jesus, that's way bigger. It's eternal. And you get like one shot at it. And if I'm wrong, it's my life. Morning, y'all. I'm glad you could be here this morning. We are uh, in the middle of a series called Why I Follow Jesus, where we're just highlighting a few of our favorite Jesus moments as a way to talk about why we do. And if you were asked the question, what would you say? Why do you follow Jesus? And for me... One of these moments comes from a story that, when I read it, every time it absolutely inspires me about my faith, and I just wanted to share it with you this morning. It comes on the heels of Jesus having just received some really tough news that John the Baptist, who was so critical in the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, had just been killed by King Herod. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that upon hearing the news, Jesus went out onto a boat to the lake to be by himself. And we can only assume that the news really rocked him and that he needed to take some time to be alone and kind of sort things out. But when he lands on the other side, rather than finding himself alone, there are like thousands of people waiting for him. And they want to see him, and they're demanding of his time. And so instead of being able to spend this, what he hoped to be, this time alone, he spends his time ministering to thousands of people and and healing them and loving on them and and teaching. And, And by the way, this is the same day when he whips up a little something in the kitchen using an old family recipe for how to feed large crowds. And from a few loaves of bread and a couple fish, he feeds over 5,000 people, which is a feat that even an Italian mother would think is miraculous. But the sun is now setting, and Jesus is still looking for some alone time, and that's where we find ourselves in our story. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, beginning with verse 22, it says, Immediately... Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and to go on, go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone 
And the boat that the disciples were in was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So he sends the disciples out by boat to go back to the other side of the lake, and Jesus goes up onto the mountainside by himself to pray. But as he does, evidently there's this pretty good storm that blows in, and the disciples are spending the better part of the night fighting against the storm and the waves, and it appears that the boat is now a considerable distance from shore. It's a good hundred feet of depth out there in the middle of this particular lake, and these guys are like stranded, and they're in a little bit of trouble. And in verse 25, something incredibly happens because it says, shortly before the dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So they see something. They're not quite sure what it is, but whatever it is, it's scary. And as it turns out, it's just Jesus walking to them on the water in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a lake, in the middle of the night. No big deal, right? Well, at first they think he's a ghost because they can't even imagine the possibility that this might have been Jesus. But then they hear his voice clearly cutting through the storm and says, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Yeah, right. I find it interesting that if you take a literal translation of what Jesus says here in this phrase, it is I, that it can also be translated to read, I am. Does sound familiar at all? You may remember that this is the same phrase that God spoke to Moses in the book of Exodus, and he said, when the Israelites ask you who sent you, you tell them, I am sent you. I am is a name that God gave to himself that basically says, I am, and there ain't nothing more. I am all that is. I am, and there is nothing greater. Once you say, I am, There's nothing left to say, because it like trumps everything. So the disciples, being previous Jewish students who would have recognized this phrase and knows that it refers to Yahweh, which is the Hebrew name for God, and Jesus would later build on this phrase and say, I am the bread, I am the way, I am the truth. But the disciples recognize that in this moment that Jesus is no ordinary man, that he is the great I am. And so immediately, as the passage goes on, Peter replies, Lord, if it is really you, then command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come on. Now, you can say a lot of things about Peter, but what you have to admit is that this guy had passion. I mean, Peter followed Jesus with such a passionate faith that it's not a stretch to just have this picture in your head of 
Peter following, following so closely behind Jesus all of his life that if Jesus were to ever stop abruptly, that Peter would just bump right into him. And I think that this story gives us this beautiful picture of what authentic faith looks like as we begin to unfold this story because the problem many times, even in the church, we confuse the idea of having a belief in something as being the same thing as having faith. And they're not. While belief may be part of faith, it's much deeper than that. And it seems to me that there are basically, if we were to break it down, that there are three kind of basic types of faith that are categorically capture most people's type of faith. And the first kind of faith is what we're going to call an intellectual faith. This is the belief part where you intellectually know that there is a God. But the problem is, that Jesus said that even the demons in hell believe in God and shudder. Hmm. So what's the difference between our belief in God and the demons in hell belief in God? Maybe belief in God is not enough. You may believe that there's a God, You may believe that you need God in your life. You may come to church every Sunday morning because of this belief. You may serve in some ministry. You may give your money because of that belief. But if you haven't entered into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ through an authentic faith, then what's the point? Belief is not enough. Which leads us to the second kind of faith, which is what I'm going to call an on-demand faith. This is kind of a fire insurance approach to faith, where we put our faith in Jesus only when we have to, only when we need him. It's a type of faith, but it's more of a faith that we need, that we can use it when we, when we get ourselves into trouble, you know? And, and this is where a lot of us find ourselves even today. We keep our faith up on a shelf where it is conveniently tucked away and we pull it out only when we need it. But otherwise, we're content to really just leave it there, hidden away, tucked away on some shelf in our life. And that's many times the way it is that we deal with God. When we're going through a tough time, we are really glad that God's there for us, aren't we? When we go through a tough time, we whip out that faith. We start praying like crazy. We we rely on God like you wouldn't believe. But then when things go back to normal, we pull the faith back. We tuck it away. We put our faith back in ourselves where it belongs. And we live our life the way that we want to live rather than the way that God wants us to live knowing all the time that back here, God's always there. But the Bible talks about the last kind of faith as being the most authentic kind of faith, which is what God asks us to have in entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm going to call that a saving faith. 
This is an all-encompassing, life-changing, I surrender all kind of a faith. A living, breathing faith that drives our purpose and our passion where we put the full weight of our lives on Jesus. See, there's a difference between just sticking your toe in the water and diving headfirst into the pool. It's a total commitment. It's scary and it's risky because we're putting all of our eggs in the Jesus basket, but we're all in. And we get a glimpse of this kind of faith when we see Peter's response in verse 29 when it says, Then Peter got down out of the boat. Now, let me just stop there and make an observation for you in case you missed it. He got out of the boat. Peter got out of the boat. There's a storm blowing. They're out in the middle of a lake. It's like 100 feet deep out there. Jesus is standing out there, I guess, on the water, looking like a ghost, freaking everybody out, and Peter gets out of the boat. Are you all picking up what I'm laying down right now? Authentic faith is more than just believing that if you walk out on the water, that you will walk out on the water. It's getting out of the boat. Authentic faith is more than just showing up at church on a Sunday morning and hearing all the nice things about what's possible if we follow Jesus. It's totally following Jesus. Authentic faith is when you trust Jesus with your life and you get out of the boat even when it's not safe out there. It's scary and it's risky. But we get out of the boat. Well, it goes on, it says, Then Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Don't miss that. Right? I mean, what an incredible moment that Peter is experiencing right now. Can you imagine just how shocked all of the other disciples are as they watch Peter walking on the water, heading toward Jesus? I mean, quite frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus himself isn't shocked that Peter's actually pulling this thing off right now. It's incredible. For a moment in time, Peter's faith is so strong that it was literally carrying him across the water. What an inspiring image of what faith can be and what you can do when you have that kind of faith where anything is possible, right? I mean, you ever feel like that? You ever get into the God zone where your faith is so strong and you feel so close to Jesus that you could just do anything? We get an understanding that Peter had this kind of saving faith that we've been talking about because while logic would tell you that if you're in a boat in the middle of a lake, in the middle of a storm, that you ride it out in the boat. 
But what Peter instinctively knew was that it was safer for him to be with Jesus out there in the storm than it was to be without him in the boat. Beautiful, huh? Well, thank God for verse 30. Verse 30 is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible because in verse 30, Peter just tanks. He just takes a nosedive. Verse 30 is awesome. Verse 30 says, But when he saw the wind, when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You have to admit, you kind of like that a little bit, don't you? Isn't it just kind of a relief that he just blows it here? I mean, can you imagine the kind of pressure that would be on us if he actually makes it all the way to Jesus? Can you imagine the kind of precedent that sets? That now, above everything else, I have to figure out how to walk on water as part of my faith? I don't have enough faith to make it through the day, and now I'm supposed to have enough faith to walk on water? I don't think so. I much prefer the image of Peter as he's going along beautifully, walking on the water, and then just for a moment, he becomes distracted. As he takes that next step on the water, he hears a voice in his head that says to him, dude, you can't walk on water. (laughs) And he looks around and goes, crap, you're right. And he begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, help me. That is so totally me. That's way better than him actually making it to Jesus. You ever do that? You're just like going along so good. Your faith is strong. You're at church every Sunday. You're kind of in the God zone. But then for just a split second, you get distracted and your focus gets off. And you're distracted from the things that are really important in this life for just a minute. But it doesn't matter how long it is because by the time you realize what's happening, it's too late. You're sinking. And as much and as hard as you try to put it back together again, you can't. You're in trouble. You need help. There's a lot of us here this morning that have gone through a faith crisis at some point or another in our lives. And maybe that's why you're here. And I just want to say it's okay. I mean, that really is part of our human experience because none of us are perfect. And that's where Jesus comes in. Because verse 31 is beautiful. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. And I don't think he's scolding Peter here at all. I think he's just in a tender voice says, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? You were doing so good. And when they climbed into the boat together, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are. 
the Son of God. In that moment, Peter's faith might have been imperfect and weak, but he was willing to get out of the boat and risk it all just to have it. Whatever it is that Jesus had, Peter knew he had to have it and was willing to do whatever it took to get it. And that's what Jesus asks of us, is that we come to him with all of our mess, all the junk in our life. He just asks that we have a faith in him that is authentic and real and that we give him our heart. Faith is a risky business. And the goal of faith is not to eliminate risk in our lives. Not at all. In fact, the greatest risk in faith is to take no risk at all and playing it safe. Faith is not about playing it safe. It's about being all in. Loving Jesus with everything that is inside of us and risking everything to have what Jesus provides. Does that scare you? Are you pretty content just to play it safe? Just to kind of stay, keep your life inside the lines? Content to go through the daily routine? The problem is that playing it safe is risky. It's riskier than following Jesus. Because playing it safe leads to a life that is mediocre at best. It's filled with a life where you just get up in the morning and you go to work, you do your job, you come home, you watch a little TV, you get up in the morning and you do it again. No sense of purpose or mission or fulfillment in your life. I can't tell you the number of people who are here at Westridge who if you'd have told them a few years ago that they were going to become part of a church, they'd have told you you're crazy. And now they're here and they're not only showing up on Sunday mornings, but they're giving and they're serving, praying. They're kidding. There was some tipping point in their lives where they took a risk and got out of the boat. And when they did, they found themselves smack dab in the middle of an authentic, committed relationship with Jesus Christ. And it changed everything. There comes a point in all of our lives when we realize that it's safer to be with Jesus out there in the storms of life than it is to be without him in the safety of our mediocre boat. Our faith may waver from time to time, but our faith makes us who we are. It cuts through the gray of this world and it gives my life color. It's faith that gives definition to our lives. It shapes the decisions that we make and the words that we speak. It causes us to live differently. It's faith that helps us to hold on in those dark nights when we are plunged into the depths of despair. But we know while we're in the middle of feeling like we are sinking to a new low, that by faith, 
that Jesus is the only one in that moment who can reach out and save you. And he might look at you and say, why'd you doubt? You were doing so good. I had a uh, reporter this last week ask me, what is my greatest fear? Expecting me to reply and uh, tell him something about my business or about the deal that I was being interviewed about where I was making a big bet on something. And, but I have to say, I, was, I think they were surprised and I was surprised myself because without hesitation, I said, my greatest fear is to live a life that has no meaning. I'll be really interested to see what they write about that. I want to live differently. I want a life that's fulfilling. And while following Jesus is scary for me, I am terrified of living an empty life. I am terrified of living a life that doesn't mean anything. And I am willing to do whatever it takes not to have that. Do you believe that there's more to this life than what you can see and touch and hear? And if you do, I beg you, do whatever it takes to scrape and to struggle to find the courage to get out of the boat. To take that first step toward Jesus and to know that when you do, you ain't got to walk on water. You just got to take his hand.